say that that was my laugh. Okay, that was such a great Vincent Pricey kind of laugh. No. But it was, no, it wasn't. No. <laughs> Don't sell yourself short, my brother. Uh, I have a good horror laugh. Oh, this is a great tune. Is this Deep Purple? Yeah. What's it called? Vincent Price. Anyway, uh, as I said earlier, I... If I was to interview this lady about her dad, I I wouldn't know what to say. Like I I wasn't a Vincent Price fan. Well, he was he was sort of he everywhere. Was an, he, he was, was an icon. More of an icon. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But I'm I'm way. I hope she doesn't get offended with this. I'm way more interested in in hearing. I'm sure she actually prefers it. her own journey. Oh, really? Well, we all want to be our own person. The way of being lost. A road trip to my truest self. Oh, dude, I just I love this song. Um, VictoriaPrice.com is the website. VictoriaPrice.com, and the book is The Way of Being Lost, A Road Trip to My Truest Self. She joins us from somewhere deep inside a bunker in the middle of, I don't know, where are you, Victoria? <laughs> I'm in West Virginia. Almost I should have played some John Denver. You should have played John Denver. John Denver. Nice oh. one. Well done. I know. Well done. Uh, Victoria, why are you such a vagrant? <laughs> I love that. You know, I have to say, in awe of all the questions I've been asked, no one's ever asked no, that one. I can I, imagine. You know, I, grew, I grew up uh, with the best times of my life being when my mom and my dad and I got in our RV, which was this sort of brown milk truck called a Clark Cortez. And my dad had been appointed by Eisenhower, actually, to be on something called the Indian Arts and Crafts Board, which was about promoting and protecting art of Native Americans because they were being exploited in the 40s and 50s. And so we would go out to the reservations and uh, and he would work and I would ride horses and then we'd get back in the RV and we would go all over the United States. And I thought, oh, my God, this is this is so great. Everybody wanted to grow up in Hollywood the way I grew up, but I loved being out on the road, feeling like a normal person, having A&W root beer, riding a horse, you know, seeing what real people lived like because Hollywood wasn't real. So at a time when my life kind of fell apart and I needed to figure out what my heart was saying instead of my head was saying, I ended up feeling like I was called to be back out on the road. Now, I didn't intend to do what I'm doing now, which is become intentionally homeless. I literally live on the road 365 days a year. But slowly but surely, that's sort of what happened. And now I literally live on the road. And let me just clarify, because I'm in the market for a fifth wheel right now to move into. Um, she She's not doing a trailer, Tim. She's not doing a trailer. Okay. As long as it's not a Pinto. She, <laughs> you, she might no, be... Mercifully, li- it's not a Pinto. No. <laughs> but it would be cool if you were traveling around and living in a Pacer. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. A little I, Bohemian I Rhapsody. primary colors. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. Um, no, I mean, you're, you're effectively couch surfing. Yes? Yeah, couch surfing. And, you know, fortunately, I do jobs where they pay me to stay in hotels from time to time, and I stay with friends and I piece it together and uh, yeah I um, I was in Johnson City Tennessee last night and I'm heading up to uh, stay with a friend in Cleveland tonight and uh, right now I'm standing on the steps of the state capital of West Virginia looking up at the Golden Dome surrounded by tulips and people in wedding dresses having their pictures taken and yeah this is uh, this is my life. 
Okay, uh, the one thing, so I'm so relating to this, and I think a lot of us have that sort of, oh, wouldn't that be nice kind of vibe going through our, our craniums. But uh, when I was on the Camino, so a year and a half ago, I walked the Camino de Santiago, 1,200-year-old pilgrimage, 1,000 kilometers, blah, blah, blah. I've said it a million times in the show. I'm just skimming through that. Uh, I remember thinking I could do this forever. But one of the reasons, as I dug deeper into my soul to explore why I felt that way, was because I'm really good, Victoria, at short-term relationships. <laughs> yeah, you're preaching to the choir over here, yep. Okay, all right, that's where I wanted to go. So, what, is that, what does that mean to you? Pull that apart for me. Ooh, I just asked the question I hate the most when interviewers say things. Ooh, just pull that apart for you're us. You're like a millennial uh, counselor, what are those? <laughs> yeah, that's right, life coach. Um what is it? What is what's wrong with you? Is what I'm actually wanting to ask. <laughs> what's wrong with me? You know, there's a wonderful poem, and I can't remember the name of it, uh, but the poet's name is Amy Gersler, and there's a line in it. And somebody said this to me years ago, maybe 25, 30 years ago. They said it was a line from her poem, and they said, "This is you. You're a sucker for the next contagious tune." And I thought, "Oh, wow, that's true." And for a long time, I I kind of beat myself up. Uh, because of that, uh, I, I think so. In a way, we we all are drawn to the glittery, shiny things, and and so I had to really look at it when I did this. Was this just a form of of running away? And and in fact, what I really realized is that what was going on was something different. I am somebody who needs to move to think. When I become like right now, I'm not sitting talking to you. I'm pacing. Uh, and, and when I drive and when I move and when I see new things, that's when the ideas come. And if I'm static and stationary for too long, what happens is I, I kind of grow inert and apathetic. So, so that was the beginning of the realization. But, but the other part of the realization was that this is sort of the anti, um, you know, next contagious tune because my practice really is going to places where most people don't go. I mean, you know, I, I, there's probably not a lot of your listeners who've spent time in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, I, I've driven through West Virginia now countless times, and it's not a highly visited state. I try to take back roads. I try to meet the kind of people that I wouldn't have met as the kid of a movie star or living in Santa Fe as an interior designer. And and actually, why, the reason I'm doing this is because of something that I think is a problem for all of us. We're taught from the time we're little kids how to problem solve in our heads, how to become control freaks, how to listen to the advice of the outside world. And what we're never taught to do, what we're never encouraged to do, is to listen to our own hearts. So, in fact, I, I sort of took my cues from things I loved, things in my childhood, or being a sucker for the next contagious tune, or needing to move to think, or loving seeing new things, and I let that all those things kind of be a prompt for me learning how to listen to my truest heart. And, and that was really the goal of this, because I feel like if we're all stuck in our heads, it, it's all going to go to hell in a handbasket, and it's only by living in our hearts that we can connect with each other. So it's kind of going around through the back door to get to something true. Victoria Price's journey is a truly inspiring one. She looks both outward and inward to find joy all around her. She has been a close friend to me for years, and I have always been moved by her story and thrilled that she is finally sharing it with the world. Who said that? I think it was my friend Melissa. Name dropper. 
<laughs> Melissa Etheridge. Um, why? How did you got your pals? I don't understand that. How did you get pal pally with Melissa Etheridge? How did we meet? Oh, we met uh, through some friends. She was actually at a benefit that I was at, and uh, and we were sort of in a, a room where um, a kind of looking down on the other people, and then we ended up going to a couple of birthday parties together. But I think where we bonded was her, her partner at the time. Um, she and her partner, Julie, at the time came over to my house, and I had pictures up on my fridge, like most people do, of their family and people who are close. And so one of the pictures up on my fridge was me and my dad. And, and Julie said to me, oh, my God, that's what are you doing with Vincent Price? And I said, well, he's my dad. And she said, oh, my God, you're kidding. So her dad, um, when he was a soldier for the Korea, in the Korean War, he was about to be deployed. And I think like the night before he was deployed or something, they, as a treat, they were all sent to uh, go to the theater. And my dad was the star of this play. It might have even been a one-man show. And instead of just doing the play and saying, you know, good luck, guys, my dad then spent the next like two hours sitting with the soldiers, listening to their stories, hearing their fears and hopes about going to war. And, and he never forgot that. So every time he came on TV as a kid, you know, Julie would uh, hear about this story and how close, you know, how, how, how powerful that experience was. And so, of course, I ended up, I'm still friends with her dad. I ended up becoming great friends with, you know, her parents, but with all of them, we all became like family. We spent a lot of holidays together. Melissa was also very, very close to her dad and her dad and my dad at this point had both died. So, uh, but she always reminded me of my dad. Her her birthday's two days after my dad's, uh, both Gemini's, and they have this very similar generosity of spirit. And uh, she's also a big reader and poetry lover. So um, I, I, I ended up becoming great friends and like family with both of them. And, uh, and we've been friends ever since. Well, that's interesting. I, I always thought that she had, I don't know, some spiritual layering. I'll, I'll phrase it that way. How's that? That's pretty heavy. Totally. I actually just interviewed her. I write a quarterly article for a spiritual publication called Sacred Stories, and my article is called The Angel in the Marble, and it's about practice, but not practice in necessarily spiritual, just like straight up, like how do you pray? It's more about kind of the spirituality of practice in everyday life. And so I interviewed her about her passion for becoming a better and better musician and performer. And it was a beautiful article about practice. And, and you know, I've known Melissa well for a long time. And as we're talking, I'm naming people, spiritual, you know, people that I've read. And she's like, oh, yeah, I read, you know, she named five of the books. And, and it was a really fun conversation because... You know, she's been through a lot in her life, including a lot of health issues, and and she was drawn to um, doing some deep spiritual soul searching right around the same time I was drawn to it, and and we found we had been sort of doing the same thing on parallel paths, but neither of us really talking about it that much. So it's actually really fun. Oh, that would be that'd be amazing. We are chatting with. Victoria Price. I have in my hand her book, The Way of Being Lost, A Road Trip to My Truest Self. Victoria, I want to talk about your spiritual journey, but I also want to talk about something that's been on my brain a little bit lately. As a matter of fact, our video of the week posted on our website, drewmarshall.ca. We posted on DrewTube. Um, it, it really kind of pokes fun at the whole, um, I don't know, self-exploration tendencies that us Westerners seem to devour on a regular basis. 
and what I'm comparing it to or contrasting it to is, you know, when was the last time you you saw some or heard about some tribal, you know, person in Africa, you know, really loving Brene Brown? Um, <laughs> right? Well, Brene Brown would be the first person to tell you that the, the Dalai Lama, you know, when he first heard about Westerners, you know, feeling shame, self-loathing, he, he had no idea what they were even talking about. So... <laughs> yeah. So to me, there's I, I do this. I have this personal tension. The self exploration that I journey that I've been on, especially the last few years, has really led me to some fascinating and I would say pure awakenings. However, I can see the treadmill that that people can easily get on, just spending every waking moment self exploring, self exploring, self exploring. How do you find the balance? Well, I think there's two different selves, right? So there's the the self-exploring, which is really about just bolstering up this um, identity that we've been accumulating and accruing and uh, preserving and promoting and protecting since, you know, since we became conscious. So there's that self. And, and, and I don't think that's the self that really we end up circling back to. And, and that's certainly not the self that is pushing us. Um, I think there's uh, something underneath that constructed self, and that's our true self. And that true self really isn't some separate ego disconnected from the world out here trying to selfishly figure out how to feel better about themselves and how to eat more of that unbelievably delicious raw chocolate that you just advertised. <laughs> you know, that, that <laughs> although, you know, if you're giving away show gifts, you can send some right on down to, <laughs> oh, you know, <laughs> to me. Um, but, but long story short, you know, I think the self that is nudging us and tapping us on the shoulder and, and urging us to, to wake up is actually antithetical to that little self that's scrambling around trying to feel better. And when we begin to reconnect with our truest selves, we actually expand. Um, not contract. And in that expansion, we actually feel less separate, less ego, less like some poor person out here trying to live a better life. In fact, the, you know, when I say that I'm intentionally homeless, you know, people don't get it. They're like, oh, that, wow, that sounds so awesome. They're like, where do you live? And I'm like, no, I don't live anywhere. Uh, and, and they say, where's your stuff? And I said, I don't have stuff. And it's interesting because I grew up in, in a family full of stuff. You know, my, our house was always photographed in, in the home magazines. And my mother had four houses and 15 storage units. And my dad had so much art that he could lend 200 pieces to a show and you wouldn't even see that it was missing. And I made my living as a designer, encouraging people to buy lots of stuff. And, and so, you know, when it came sort of that I needed to take this step, I thought, how am I ever going to get rid of this stuff? And now that I don't have this stuff, it's, it's so liberating. And that's not to say that I'm not tempted when I, you know, I'm in West Virginia and I stopped to um, get a bottle of water and there was the West Virginia gift store full of Fiesta Ware, which is made in West Virginia. And I've always collected Fiesta Ware and I stood there in front of it going, oh, this is so great until I remembered, like, what is it going to live in the, on the dashboard of my car? So I'm still tempted by all the same things that tempt all of us to have these things that make us feel secure. And yet when I walked away, 
you know, not having spent money I didn't have to have something that I wouldn't have any place to put, there was this great sense of freedom because what I really enjoyed at that gift shop was the conversation I had with the kid behind the desk. And that's really what happens when we stop thinking about the stuff and the crap, we end up connecting with people in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. Victoria Price on the line. She's the author of The Way of Being Lost, A Road Trip to My Truest Self. And, yeah, she's the daughter of what's-his-name. That's <laughs> so not a cool way to describe it. What? Let's actually talk about your dad for a second, because I, I, I sh- I'm shying away from this, and I'm joking a little bit about it, because I would imagine that it could get annoying, people just really wanting to talk to you because you're Vincent Price's daughter. That's got to suck. You know what? First of all, it comes with the territory. If you grow up a celebrity kid, that that just is a fact of your life. But second of all, my dad was and still is my my mentor, my guide on, on this journey. He's the person who taught me about being connected to your heart. He's the person who showed me what joy is. He's the person who was so in love with the world and people and beauty that he pushed me out of my natural inclination to being an introvert and and showed me what connection feels like. So, frankly, I love talking about my dad because usually the people who want to talk about my dad are people who love him. Yes, of course, there's, there are people who just are enamored with celebrity. But most people who want to talk to me about my dad, I mean, he's been gone 25 years. So, you know, he's not like a current celebrity, and yet he has almost 250,000 Facebook fans. So those people, they're people who, in their own way, love him for the same reason I did. And honestly, think about all the things that you love that you would love to talk about with other people. And, you know, people who love fly fishing, and after about five minutes of talking about fly fishing, we're all like, really? Okay. (laughs) But I, this person I adore, I get to talk about him. In fact, I'm invited to come spend weekends talking to people about someone I adore. So, frankly, I think I'm really fortunate. It makes me feel like I have this huge family all over the world. That's so good. Well, speaking as Canadians, you know why we love your dad, right? Do you? The the hilarious house of Frightenstein. (laughs) Of course I do. Oh, man, that was such a formative childhood memory for us. Hey, Tim? I mean... Oh, yeah. Every Saturday morning. You had to watch it. He loved doing it. He loved doing it. And I had fun, the fun of meeting one of the creators. Uh, I met Mitch in, in Toronto. And actually, I've been collaborating on some fun, hilarious House of Frightenstein memorabilia records and posters. And, um, you know, my, my whole mother's side of my family is Canadian. So I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, have a real passion in my heart for Canadians. And of course, you know, most of us down here, many of us down here are deeply and sincerely in love with Justin Trudeau. So, you know, we all secretly long to be Canadian. Well, yeah, but that's only because he looks like Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. Oh, I would have to say, you know, that is true. And, and then there's his heart. All right. I, I, I think. And, and then there's his socks. The, he doesn't look like a Cheeto. Yeah. And he doesn't look like a tanned Cheeto. Yes. Um, let's just say he has compassion. No, no. He's a snowflake, Drew. Oh, (laughs) too bad. Someone likes someone. Okay, enough of this. Um, Yes, Tim. I just, I wanted to ask a real practical question about intentional homelessness. Would you fight it harder to do in Canada because of our 
extreme weather, at least in the States, you can sort of go where it's warm. No, she's not living under the bridge. No, 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 no. But but if she's – but that has to have an effect, the weather. And, and I'm just asking because I don't know. I'm wondering. Yeah, no. Well, well here's the thing. I grew up in California, and I have lived in New Mexico for the last 25 years. And whenever I spend time in cold places like, oh, Cleveland, Ohio, or Chicago, Illinois, I look at people, and I'm like – how the hell do you live here? You know, I, I'm a skinny person, and I'm always cold anyway. And I also, my I my daily practice of joy is walking. And when you're skinny and cold and you have a dog and you have to walk out in the sleet and the snow, yeah, not fun. So I think I would be a poor Canadian. I would have to live, like, you know, uh, in, in where my cousins all live, which is in Victoria, which is temperate. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where all your relatives are from. You're on you're on the left coast of Canada, are you not? Yeah, BC, exactly. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um where the number one pickup line is, uh, hey, do you have a joint? <laughs> There you go. I mean, it is. It is. That's a, um, okay, Victoria, what do you believe? I mean, this is this is a question from a guy who who has been struggling with belief my entire life. And I'm fascinated in what people believe, but more why they believe it. So can we dive into that? What do you got for me? Yeah. Uh, well, I believe that um, I believe in the connectedness of all things. And, you know, I, I have some pretty out there beliefs, so I'm going to I'm gonna keep it uh, a little less out there than, than normal and sort of distill it down to things that I actually can connect with and, and, and use every day, which is that I believe in the connectedness of all things. And I also believe in the power of good. Uh, I, just in any news story you read, and, and one of the stories that's been dominating the news down here was the emergency landing of the Southwest Airlines flight. And uh, because the, the woman who, who died in that flight was from New Mexico, um, which has been my home state, uh, there's been a lot of press about her in our local papers, which I still get online. And so, I, I, you know, you're reading all of this sort of surus uh, and, and the tragedy of a lost life, and yet what you're also hearing about is in that moment where everything was on the line, how many people just jumped in and, and just did the right thing. And that's because I feel that fundamentally we are all wired the same way, which is we're, we're wired to love one another. And the fear that we learn is learned. And so i I know it sounds hokey, and I know it sounds totally pie in the sky to say, I believe in the power of love with a capital L. And, you know, as somebody who ha- has not necessarily succeeded in in expressing that anywhere close to well on the human plane with the little L, it's a little ironic to say it. But these are the things that actually I hold to every day, because living on the road, you encounter all kinds of people every day and and if you relied on the safety of the human condition it, it would feel scary all the time and yet what i have found is that this core belief that we are all connected by the power of good and by the power of love is something that actually has 
transmutated into me connecting with other people through the power of good and through the power of love. Now, what I will say is I travel with a dog, and, and she's like my love ambassador. She's like my little bodhisattva love mayor of the world. And, and that she can melt any heart, and people will always come over to me and talk to me because of her. Sometimes the conduit has to come through, you know, unusual things like, a dog or chocolate, um, but the bottom line, or an emergency, but the bottom line is when push comes to shove, I believe that's how we're all wired, and I do believe that that is the fundamental reason that we're all going to be okay despite how unokay things feel sometimes. Okay, so you believe that we all have this wiring that you talked about. Do you think there's a master wirer? <laughs> What a horrible master way to say electrician, it. Maybe? Yeah, master electrician. No, because I mean, master electrician. Yeah. So you know, like I struggle with my belief, but one of the things I I I still lean in towards is it's when I look around and and discover more about this planet we're on in the in the solar system, etc., or even just the ecosystems in my own neighborhood. Um, it reeks of design and purpose. So it leads me to think that there may be a designer, and I wonder if there is a God. And so, I mean, spiritually, you know, where have what's been your journey? Were you ever a blank and then changed your mind and became a blank? Well, I was raised in, in a church where, um, unusually in the 1960s, there was this—the language is around that God not only was love— but that love was a, a, a divine parent, and that divine parent was both male and female. Mm-hmm. So that was, I started in sort of a, a kinder, gentler version of traditional patriarchal, but it had a matriarchal form, too, of Christianity. And I walked away from that at some point because it felt moralistic and restrictive, and if you weren't perfect, you were screwed. So (laughs) I walked away from that, and those were the most lost years of my life. I mean, just miserable. And so I kept getting this calling to find a spiritual practice that could resonate for me. And and when I finally showed up to that, I didn't know where to start, and I heard, start with what you already know. Hmm. So I started from that place of going back to God, and I could hardly tolerate the word God. I mean, I, I just, it, it was patriarchal, it felt like so many horrible things had been done in God's name. And so the shift for me, and that's why I said talked about good before, hmm. was that when I came to understand that the words God and good were the same in like, I don't know, 35 languages, I I had to say to myself, well, do I believe in some overarching, and I agree with you, design, power, intent, and is that intent or design or power good? And, and, and is that fundamentally all? And that was the beginning of my re-entry into spirituality. And, you know, eventually I became an interfaith, interspiritual minister. And, and I'm less interested in the interfaith part. I'm interested in, in the, the different practices and ways people access it. But what I'm really more a practitioner of, I would say, is interspirituality, which really means to me, however you get there. You know, I'm, I'm standing here looking at all these people literally all dressed up in their wedding clothes and Sunday best because there's tulips everywhere. And they're all connecting with one another and taking pictures and loving being outside in what is probably the first spring day. And I think, you know, why isn't this church? It is. 
this is church, any, any way in which we connect, there's squirrels and kids and, you know, and everybody is enjoying the same beautiful day of feeling something powerful and good. And yes, I, you know, there's so much we know through quantum physics and there's so much we're learning about, you know, the fact that matter is actually energy in the universe and not matter per se, and that matter doesn't even manifest unless consciousness creates it, and that the universe is actually always expanding. I, you know, all of the things we're learning through quantum physics, which are so antithetical to what was believed in, in sort of old-fashioned religion, I think is kind of blowing the doors off of, of restrictive, proscriptive religion and making us all realize that, yes, there is something bigger, but no amount of naming it through religion is going to make a difference. Yeah. We have to find it in our hearts. Wow, you are limit. you are a great communicator. Here are the uh, here are the parts of this book. Just to give you a little a little uh, sampling: remembering joy, storytelling in service of spirit, exhuming the unholy trinity of my self-loathing. That would be my favorite chapter. Is an Enneagram four. I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but oh, absolutely! I'm in the Richard Worth Living School right now, so I'm all about the Enneagram. Oh my goodness! Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, Richard was a guest uh, just a couple of months ago and has been on the show a few times. And if you don't like Richard Rohr, I just it just makes me want to punch you in the nose. <laughs> Which is somehow all wrong. But it's somehow all wrong. <laughs> it totally is. Uh, missing the mark which is actually the uh, English definition of the word sin. Uh, causing my angels... Sorry, I said that. She didn't say it. Uh, causing my angels to sing. Uh, seeing the treasures that prevail and the way of being lost. I just think that the intentionality of your journey is so soul-stirring. Wow, I feel like I've drank too much coffee today. The stuff that's coming out of my mouth is so earnest. Usually I'm a much more of a jerk. Snowflake. I'm well, a snow- let's be a little irreverent because honestly, I think, you know, if, if we can't be irreverent, we've probably, you know, failed for the Beautiful, day. beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for rescuing this interview <laughs> with that. Oh, that's good. Um, I, when, I was, when I was ordained, I, you know, they said, well, are you going to call yourself reverend? And I, I, for a long time, I actually wrote it I-R-R-E-V. Yes. Price. Exactly. You know, Reverend Victoria, Victoria Price just seemed a little too. I love it. No, I absolutely love Here. it. Hey, how's your dog? She is awesome. She is, oh my God, I love my dog so much. Um, she's just my little brave companion in the road, making making every day better. See, that's, here's She the has th- her own Instagram page. I won't even tell people what mine is, but follow her. She's so darn cute. It's Travels with Allie. <laughs> what is it called? Travels with Travels Allie. with Allie. Okay. She's right. lived uh she's lived in um she's been in thirty six states and by May she will have been to forty and to Canada. She's gonna drive the Alcan in May. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um well, she's not. So oh stop. I oh, so here's the thing, here's the thing. With this fluffy white dog of yours, that's the instant uh sort of intermediate intermediate whew, that's the thing that goes between you and the strangers. Yes, you got it. She's my mediator, my intermediary, my ambassador. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Ambassador. And and when I did the Camino, I really, really thought about bringing my dog. I have a giant uh, Great Pyrenees, a white Great Pyrenees. Oh, wow. And, wow. And he walked with me in training, and, and uh, he's, he's, he's with me almost all the time. 
So I get the whole connection. I really do. I'm one of those sappy people that would ju- my seriously. How Tim, look at me. How much would I literally fall apart if my dog died? Not going to say on radio. <laughs> would not be good. <laughs> but I. But my dog. My. Uh, the connection between me and strangers when I walked the Camino was not my dog because he wasn't with me. It was my silence. Uh, when I walked the Camino, I did it within a three-month vow of silence. And as soon as people found out that I was not going to speak with them, that I was in a vow of silence, that opened up all sorts of doors. Do you know what I mean? Wow. Totally. Wow, that is powerful. Yeah, now see, you know, now I want to interview you. I, I, how did you feel at the end of three months of silence? Well, I started. I should have trained more for the walking, but I trained for the silence. I I did one day a week for six months of silence, um, and I think that really. Well, I know that really helped. And then when you're away somewhere, like for example, on a pilgrimage, on a trail of intentionality, it's re, it's. I think it's easier to kind of slip into almost a different persona, because when you're mm-hmm. at, when you're at home doing the same old, same old, it's too easy to to be what you have always been. But when you're away, you can you can then slip into something more comfortable. Oh yeah, and I you know I don't know about you, but the first time I ever was given the directive to be silent, I actually felt like I'd been given permission to be myself. And I'm a talker, and and yet there was something I realized there's always been something underneath that talking. And when somebody said you you know we're going to be silent for the next four hours, I was like oh. Thank you. I'm so relieved. <laughs> yeah, yep. so, yeah I feel. Interesting. I think it's it's the wellspring underneath a lot of uh, a lot of who we are that we don't pay any attention to. Oh yeah, yeah. No, there are two things that I've done over over the last number of years that I do lean back into and yearn for a little bit more because they were choices, not thrust upon me. One was when I willingly went blind for the last week of Lent. I had a friend of mine source out contact lenses that took my vision away and I put them in for the week. And that allowed me as such an ADD North American male, visually stimulated male to just like, just shut things out and be in a, in a, in a compartment of my soul that I, that I only visit infrequently before I, you know. And then, of course, this silent thing has been has been quite good. All right, listen, I just so also... You're my wait. No, 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 I have to ask you. You're my perfect person. This is one of those litmus test questions I always ask people. So if God came down, I mean, not literally, hypothetically, and said, you have to give up yeah. one of your five senses yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, this is, why, this is how this stuff started. I mean, that's the ultimate pub conversation, you know? You're six pints right, in, and you're, right. and you're, and you're yeah. ferociously arguing this ridiculousness. Tim, what do you say? Vision. Really? Wow. Yeah, because I can't live without music, and if I give it smell, I lose my taste. Right. Mm. And I can still feel my wife. Right. Well, stop it. I don't want to know anything else about that. She <laughs> whiz. Yeah, you know what? I, all I can really speak to is the difference between uh, sight and, uh, and of course, talking, which really isn't a sense. But uh, right. I, I would, if I could make still make a living and not talk, I would shut up in a heartbeat. Uh, because wow. because I have talked myself into more garbage and out of more garbage. <sighs> and it's my, it, you know, everyone's gift has a backside. My gift is communication. But what gets me into trouble all the time is my mouth. So I was silent for three months and got along with everybody. It was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> right. What so, about you? Yeah, what about you, uh, Victoria? What about you? 
taste. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, but, with all but what I have to say is that's what I've always said. But now that I, you know, I ask that question, I think as I drive the remaining four hours, I might think about, is that still true? Because I think one of the things we forget is that our pet answers can change. Yes, true story. About everything. True story. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Thank you, Victoria Price. Me oh. too. Thank you. This was, uh, I, of course, I have a million questions to ask you now. So. Too late. Gotta go. Bye. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, author of The Way of Being Lost, A Road Trip to My Truest Self, Victoria Price. Uh, you can find her details on our website, or you, of course, you can go to hers, victoriaprice.com. Victoria, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much. And do me a favor. Try to try really to crash. Wonderful. Try to crash that wedding party tonight. See if you can get in. You should see some of the wedding dresses. They are unbelievable. Yeah, try it. I they're, love. They're rocking it here in West Virginia. I Let love me tell you. love crashing parties. Good to talk to you. Oh, he's playing John Denver for you. There we go. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Bye, Victoria. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.